So as Kimmy said, we're getting into a, a series on the book of Acts today. And just while I was standing there in worship, I was just thinking to myself about maybe our expectation coming into a church service like this today. I think probably for some of you, maybe you haven't been in church in quite a while and you're not sure what to expect and you're not sure what I'm going to say now. I promise I'm not going to embarrass anyone in any way, shape or form. But I just thought about the reality that we believe that God is alive. We're actually going to be singing about that after the service, that he is alive and that he can meet with us where we are. And there's a story of Charles Spurgeon, who's regarded as one of the greatest preachers of all time. And he was part of an old Baptist church, which meant that he would climb kind of the stairs and go into that preaching box. I actually don't even know what it's called, but, you know, he would have that platform up there. And as he walked up stair after stair, he would just say, I believe in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. As he got up to preach, I believe in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, because he believed that the Spirit of God was alive and that the Spirit of God wanted to speak and impact people's lives in some way. And I really do believe that today. That every time we gather as a church, that the Spirit of God would love to speak to you, love to meet with you, would love to encourage you, would love to minister to you. For some of you, you're hurting and you need the comfort of the Spirit. For some of you, actually, God wants to commission you and speak to you about His purposes for your life. And I really do feel like today is one of those moments where God wants to meet with us in an intimate way and wants to lead us forward. So I would love you to almost say in your heart, let's just spend a moment to pray, but to say in your heart, God, maybe for some of you, if you're real, I'd love you to meet with me. Or wherever, wherever you're at, God, whatever you want to do, I'm here. So we just welcome you, Holy Spirit, in this place. We hold out our hand. We say, would you take us by the hand and lead us forward? Whatever it is you've got for us today, we want that. We thank you that you are here and that we're two or three are gathered in your name. You're with us. And we pray, Lord, that you would pour out your love. You would pour out your truth and that you would meet with us today. Amen. So we're starting the book of Acts, and just so you know, Harbor City Kids are going through the book of Acts too, and they're actually a week ahead of us. So for any parents in the room, maybe you know already the passage we're going to go through, because your kids were repeating Acts 1 verse 8, the memory verse they had last week. They were doing like the motions and the song that the uh, team put together. But we're really excited that um, kind of we've got Acts for Kids and Acts for Adults going on at the moment in the life of our church. And I'm trusting that it would really impact us together. It's one of the reasons we made the notebook that you would have found, hopefully all of you, on your seats today. And really that is just a tool to help you as we go through the series to engage with the book of Acts for yourself. There's scriptures in there, there's questions in there, there's places that you can kind of write or doodle or highlight or underline or really like just engage with God and speak to God through that book. So I hope that that will serve you as we go through this together. But I really would love to ask all of you to go through the book of Acts for yourself. As much as we're going to be preaching through it each week, it would be so great for us to meet with God for ourselves and try and engage with him through, well, ourselves through his word. And this book, the book of Acts, honestly changed my life. I think when I came back to church as a 17-year-old for the next few years, reading through the book of Acts, or the book of the Bible, and reading through the book of Acts, I was so excited about what the church could look like. And I was so excited about the big mission that Jesus had for his people. And I was so caught by the fact that this church, this community, believed that Jesus was the hope of the world. And he believed that Jesus was their hope personally, each individual, that Jesus was their hope. And I think we, we live in a time and we live in a world where actually we need hope at the moment. There's so much craziness going on in our world. We need a hope that is sure and a hope that is stable and secure and something that we can trust in that will not let us down. And that is what Jesus offers to us in the gospel. And I'm hoping as we go through this book, we would almost see that in a new way, that the church has the message that is the hope for the world. 
Now, I don't want to break your heart here, but the book of Acts is a history book. And I know that means some of you might doze off straight away. You're like, oh, history was my worst subject at school. I hate the history channel. It's the worst. But as you go through this book, I think you're going to find this is a lot less David Attenborough and a lot more, I don't know, Dunkirk or Saving Private Ryan or Braveheart or something like this. This is an action-packed book of the Bible. And as you read through Acts for yourself, you're going to come across shipwrecks, riots, snake bites, stonings, beheadings, prison breaks, earthquakes, angels, demons, supernatural dreams, miracles, healings, revivals, arrests, courtroom drama scenes, and even a meeting with a king and a queen. Travel's more your thing. The book of Acts has got it all. This book is filled with wanderlust as uh, Paul and the other apostles travel all around the Middle East with the message of Jesus. There's really nothing like it because this book is a thriller. It's an action uh, book. It's a drama. It's sci-fi. It's a biography. It's hard to define the book of Acts, but it really is like this blockbuster story of the people of God following him and living for him in their age. And I'm hoping that this will excite you as much as it's excited me in the past and that God would use this series to form us into this church more and more over the next few months. Now, I'm sure for all of us, we've got an idea of what the church is, even as I speak about this being the history book of the church. But really, for first century followers of Jesus, probably the church meant something a little bit different. They would have seen the church more as a movement with this conviction that Jesus was the savior of the world right at the center. They knew that he was who he said he was. They believed he'd risen from the dead, like proving that his message was true. And they believed that he was the king or the lord of the universe and that he was calling all people on earth to himself through Jesus. And as we read this, like the word that is used in the Greek or the original kind of language for uh, the church was this word ecclesia. Now that word ecclesia would mean a called out group of people assembled around an idea with a common purpose. Maybe that's a bit of a tongue twister. A called out group of people assembled around this idea or this person of Jesus with the same purpose. And this wasn't like a Christian term or a religious term. This could be used of like a military or a civic group. They were called out, gathered around the same purpose with the same idea. But what happened is over time, the guys who translated the Bible stopped using this idea of ecclesia. And our word church comes from the German word kirch which means the house of the Lord or kind of the sacred place that you gather together. So you can see how this shift happened from the church being the movement of Jesus with this purpose for the world to becoming a place that we would gather and an event that we would attend and something that we would take part in together. And I just want to say, Harbor City, we don't just want to do church. We don't just want to gather together for these church events or worship experiences or whatever you want to call them. And we really don't want to be just a spiritual service provider, kind of meeting your Christian needs so that you can go out and live your life however you want. The whole idea is that we gather together with Jesus at the center to be his people, to know him and make him known in the world. That is what is going on in the book of Acts. So if you've got a Bible, you can turn to Acts 1 with me, otherwise it'll pop up on the screen just behind me. And we're going to read the first page, the first passage, the intro to this amazing story. Acts 1 verse 1. In the first book of Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. 
For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. We've called this series Jesus Continued because of what's going on in verse 1 of this passage. And Luke writes, and he says, In my first book, O Theophilus, volume 1, the Gospel of Luke, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. It's this idea that while Jesus was on earth, he began and he taught certain things. And almost now, Jesus, through his church, by the power of the Spirit, is continuing to do and teach the same things that he had done before in the book of Luke. So this is all about Jesus continued, what he is doing through you and I today. And this does come all the way to 2019 in Durban. Uh, the book of Acts is 28 chapters, but we're living in Acts 29. We're living in this chapter that's carried on from that moment onwards with this history of the church going on throughout the generations of what God's people have done and what he has called us to do and where he has sent us. And we will carry that on until the day that Jesus returns. That is what Jesus continued is all about. See, Jesus is alive, and every single one of us are called into the story to write part of the narrative and play the part that we have uniquely been called to play. And this passage that we read this morning, this intro to Acts in Acts 1 verse 1 to 9, is really an intro to the whole book, and inside of these nine verses, we get the three big ideas which you're going to see in the next 27 chapters, the gospel, the spirit, and the mission of the church. So we'll start with the gospel. Luke writes in these first few verses, and in each of the 11 verses that start off chapter 1, he talks about Jesus. It's just there again and again and again throughout the start of this book. And it makes sense because this is all about Jesus. The book of Acts, the church, is all about Jesus. Here's the idea that we are centered around. And what Luke is going to be teaching us as he goes through this book is that Jesus is continuing to do and teach what he did through you and I. That's what the book of Acts is all about. And this group of disciples that were gathered around Jesus are ones who are sold out to him. Their hearts, their minds have been gripped by the ideas of who Jesus is and what he's done. And they believe that Jesus is God, which is a huge thing. Because if you think about it, these men and women have traveled with Jesus for the last three years. And after all of that time, they've said, he is who he says he is, Jesus is God. And that's big because probably for all of us, we've been impressed by someone when we first met them before, you know. And you meet someone and you think they're so wise, they're so funny, they're so charming, they're just an amazing person, they're so intelligent, they're so gifted. This person is amazing, they're not like anyone that I've met before. And then after a few days or weeks of knowing them, you start to see some of the cracks and flaws like all of us have. We go, okay, they're just human, they're like me too. But these disciples, after three years of going everywhere with Jesus, traveling all around the Middle East, after seeing him teach and preach and do these things, they said, no, he's perfect. We've never seen him sin. We've never seen a flaw in him. We've never seen him snap at someone. We've never seen his motives be wrong. Jesus is perfect. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is God. They heard his teaching for three years. And you can imagine Jesus probably going through similar messages as they went town to town. They didn't get bored. They said, no, this message is the message that is the hope of the world. This message is the most important message that has ever been shared. This is the message of God. This is good news. And they heard the power that he taught with. And they saw the power that he did these healings and miracles with. And they put their faith in Jesus. 
And on top of that, they saw him die on the cross for, well, they believed their sins. And they saw him again after that moment, and they believed that he'd been raised from the dead. And it's not just because they were told this by someone else like we are today. They had literally seen it live with their eyes. They'd watched Jesus be whipped with that cat of nine tails and his back be broken open and the blood pouring down through his skin. And they'd sawn that crown of thorns in his head and they'd watched him on the cross. So he was heaving, trying to just keep his breath going. And then they'd watched him slump down. It may be been there as he'd been put in that tomb and as he'd been dressed. They knew Jesus was definitely dead. And then they saw him for 40 days after that time. And he taught and he preached and he showed the holes in his wrists where the nails had been. And probably some of the scars in his head where that crown of thorns had been. Maybe he pulled up his shirt and he showed them the lashes that had come from that cat of nine tails. And they said, we saw him die. We have seen him alive. And in Acts chapter 1, they watch him ascend up to heaven. I don't fully know how that moment happened, but it was beyond like a David Blaine kind of magic trick. Jesus just started to go up into the air and was absorbed into the clouds. and They didn't see him anymore. They watched all of these things happen and they said, he is who he says he is. Jesus is the savior of the world. He is the Messiah. He is God. They believed in him. Not just because they'd been told it, but because they saw it. And they were willing to sacrifice everything to follow Jesus and to preach his message. And when I say everything, I mean figuratively. They left their families behind. They left their jobs behind to go and do this Jesus task, to be witnesses to the world. But they did also give everything because many of them would be martyred for Jesus. We read this in the book of Acts, people being beheaded, people being sawn in two, people being crucified, people being stoned, people being boiled alive. This is the story of the early church as this message went out. They said, we will give our lives to make Jesus known in the cities and towns and villages and nations of the world. They did this because they believed Jesus was who he said he was that Jesus was worth it, and that his message was the good news that was hope for everyone in our world. And I want to ask you today, do you believe these things? You might be familiar with them. You might know them, but do you believe them? Do you believe Jesus is God? Do you believe he died on the cross for your sins? Do you believe he was raised from the dead and that he ascended to heaven? And I know maybe some of you are new here. This is your first time here today. Maybe some of you are exploring Alpha and you're like, Grant, I really don't know. That's why I'm doing Alpha. That's why I'm here. I want to explore these things. This is a good place to check out if Jesus is who he said he was. But if you believe those things, then you are a Christian. You are saved. You are a follower of Jesus. That's very, very good news. Now, the second thing we see in Acts 1 and that we're going to see throughout this book is an emphasis on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And I know probably in this room, all of us come from different church backgrounds or different experiences of what the Holy Spirit is or who the Spirit is or what he does. And I just want to say that for us as Harbor City, we are a word and spirit church. We want both of those things. And I know some of you are more comfortable on one side. I know that some of you maybe have got your own biases or your own preferences, but we want both. And in Acts chapter 1, we see both. In verse 1 to 3, the emphasis is on teaching. The emphasis is on the Word. And as we go through the book of Acts, you're going to read a bunch of sermons. Acts 7, there's a really long sermon preached by this guy named Philip. He goes back to the beginning of time and just traces what God has done. We're going to read Paul's sermons and John's and Peter's and all of these little pieces of what Jesus has done because teaching matters. And really the mission of the church was to spread the Word of God, to spread the gospel everywhere. We see that in Acts 6 verse 7, and the Word of God continued to increase. That was a win for the church, that the message went everywhere. 
And I know some of you are Bible nerds. Some of you love a good Christian book. Some of you love getting a commentary out and studying through the scriptures and learning new things you didn't know about God through his word. Some of you hate reading. I get that too. But some of you feel so comfortable at home with a Bible or a book, just reading and engaging God that way. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But we can also go that way because we're nervous of the Holy Spirit. We've had experiences before where maybe we've been in a meeting or something where we've seen something weird happen or someone has said something in the name of the Spirit that we know is not right and know doesn't line up with His Word. And because of that, we push the Spirit away. But the Spirit is highlighted all throughout the book of Acts. In verse 6 to 9, we see Him on full display. And probably the book of Acts could be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's Him who is at work. It's him who's speaking and leading and guiding and empowering and gifting and sending the people of the church to do the works that he's got. And I know some of you are big spirit people. You're just you're hearing me talk about reading the Bible and the Word, and you're like, oh, it's so boring. I hate theology. I hate reading the Bible. I really just don't get much from it. For me, just to turn down the lights in my room, light up a scented candle, put on a Hillsong, just experience God for myself, that's what you're all about. And that's a good thing too. You know, we want the power of the Spirit. We want to trust the Spirit to work through us. We want the gifts of the Spirit. We want to be led by Him. But we don't want either or. We want both and. We want both. We want the Word of God and we want the Spirit of God and the power that comes from both of those things. John Tyson is a pastor that I follow and he's got this amazing phrase about the kind of church he wants to lead. He says that he dreams of a church which has theology that can't be denied and a power that can't be ignored. And I love that, that we would be a church that knows God's word and is filled with it and can answer the hard questions because we found the answers. You know, we've wrestled with them and we've wrestled with the scriptures to come to conclusion. But at the same time, we're filled with the power of the spirit in a way where people cannot deny that God is present and that he is active in a room or in a meeting or in a conversation or in a prayer a theology that can't be denied, and a power that can't be ignored. And in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, Jesus tells his followers to wait for the empowering of the Spirit, to wait for the gift that the Father has got. Wait and pray until that comes. And in Acts 1 verse 8, he says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That's the Bible verse our kids learned last week. But that really is the key verse. That is the mission statement of the book of Acts. And that's what we're going to see happen over the next 27 chapters as we slowly work through the book of Acts. And Harbor City, I just want you to know that all Christian ministry happens in dependence on the Spirit. You know, you could be incredibly gifted, incredibly smart. You could be incredibly articulate. You could be, I don't know, just a genius with people. But unless the Spirit of God is working, that is not really ministry happening. We need to ask the Spirit to fill us and empower us to do anything that will last for God. And we see that because Jesus even tells the apostles that they need this. These are the people who've been with Jesus for three years. They've heard every sermon. They've watched every miracle. They've seen every healing. They've seen the most incredible things maybe that have ever been done in the history of the world. They've watched Jesus' crucifixion. They've watched him be resurrected. And then they see him ascend to heaven. And Jesus says, that's not enough. And for you and I, we can just write ourselves off right there. Be like, well, flip, man, if that wasn't enough, then what am I, <laughs> what hope do I have that I'm going to do anything for God? 
But Jesus says it's not about those things. What you need is the empowering that comes from the Spirit. We need to wait and pray for the baptism and infilling of the Spirit of God in our lives to give us power to be His witnesses. Seeing Jesus isn't going to do it. So that's good news for us because none of us have seen Him physically. But the power of the Spirit is the gift of God for us to do ministry. And if you are here, I don't want to confuse you. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God is inside of you already. That moment where you put your trust in Jesus, where you believed in him, where you put your faith in him, the Spirit of God came together with your spirit and they became one. The Spirit made your spirit alive. It's what theologians call regeneration. You were born again. You were made alive. We were dead in our sins and transgressions and we have been made alive by the Spirit of God. The Spirit is in you. But these disciples had the same situation. They had the Spirit in that way, but Jesus is saying you need the empowering that comes from the Spirit of God. And we want that empowering too. We desire the more of God as we kind of sung about this morning. I want to ask you, do you want that? Do you desire that? Do you feel that you have that? And what is that exactly? Because in Acts 1 verse 8, the good news is this. It starts and says, but you. And I want you to personalize this a bit this morning. But you will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now, I'm going to do something which some of you are not going to enjoy because this seems like bad pastoring, but I want you to add something into your Bible. If you've got a pen, otherwise you can do it later or you can journal this or whatever. I'd love you to, after the but you, take out your pen and put in a little comma and put in your name and then put another comma because we want good grammar in our Bibles. (laughs) But you, comma, grant, comma, will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Can you personalize this? Because I think so often what we say is, this is not for me, this was for them, this is for someone else. But actually Jesus' promise is to you. You will have power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be a witness for Jesus. But what does that power look like? What can we expect? What should we think is going to happen when the Spirit comes upon us? And I think this is probably where superhero movies have really done us a disservice. Like, I'm pumped for 2019. We've got Avengers Endgame coming out. We've got Captain Marvel. It's going to be a good year for superhero movies. But at the same time, I think we read this and we hear power and we do kind of go to like an X-Men mentality, you know. We think that's kind of what is going to happen when the Holy Spirit comes. Muscles pop out, halo engages, face starts to shine. Like, that is what the Spirit of God does. And we've got this picture of like Bruce Banner to Hulk going on. In a spiritual sense, we think we're going to be little Bruce Banner just kind of carrying on and then going to go all green and big for Jesus and we're going to be ready to do something. And we've got this weird Christian X-Men idea. And I guess I'd love you to change that. I guess the X could change to a cross and we could be cross men or something. (laughs) But that is not really the idea. It's not like put on your spandex, take Durban for Jesus. That's not what's going on in Acts chapter 1. But there is an empowering which is given to us. This word power there is the word dynamis, where we get the word dynamite from. So it is explosive power. It is great power. I'm not trying to minimize the power of the Spirit of God. I'm just trying to say, please don't think superheroes. Think the Spirit of God coming upon you to do a task. And we see this throughout the Bible. We see all sorts of characters in the Old Testament where the Spirit of God comes upon them, or to use Luke's language, where they are clothed with power from on high. That's what he says in Luke 24. And I desire that for my life. I want to be clothed with power from on high, the power that comes from the Spirit of God. So if it's not a Christian X-Men kind of power, what are we talking about here? 
Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, kind of an old school preacher back in the day, had this beautiful illustration about what this means. And when he spoke about the baptism of the Spirit or the Spirit of God filling us, he would say that basically a happiness from God would come upon those who are filled with the Spirit, a happiness for all situations in life. And he gave this illustration. So I want you to engage your kind of imagination for a second. Picture Durban beachfront, beautiful promenade, beautiful day. I know today's a bit overcast. And a father and son or a father and daughter walking along that promenade together, hand in hand, little kid. And you've probably seen that kind of thing a bunch of times. And probably even picturing this sounds like the normal Christian life. You and your father, or well, maybe I shouldn't be doing it this way. You and your father are walking together in all of life. You're safe, you're secure, things are good, you're with your father and he's taking you forward, you know. That's a good picture of what the normal Christian life looks like, but it doesn't sound very Book of Acts-y. So I want you to picture this for a second. Father and son, father and daughter walking together hand in hand, and then dad out of nowhere grabs the other arm and just starts swinging that child around, you know, holding them kind of like that, I don't even know what it's called, little windmill kind of playful thing, spinning the child around again and again and again, and then pulls the child in into their arms and hugs them and kisses them, you know, the all over their neck and their face and their ears and their head, and then holds them up and looks into their face and says, I love you. I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm so glad you're mine. I love you so, so much. And then pulls them in again and kisses their neck and their head and then puts them down and carries on holding that hand and they keep walking down the promenade back to normal life, you know. That's what being clothed with power from on high is like. That is what the empowering of the Spirit is like. We're carrying on with normal Christian life. We're just going, walking with Jesus, following God, hand in hand with the Father, going forward in life. And then somehow we're not in control of these moments. This is what the Father does. But it's like he sweeps us up into his arms. And he holds us and he kisses us and he pours his love out on us. And we're overwhelmed by the fact that we are a child of God. We know our identity. We know who he is. We know what he's done. We're refreshed with this purpose we've got. And all those fears about what people are going to think just completely go away because we experience his love. This is not just something we know anymore. This is something we're feeling, the kisses. We're feeling like the hugs and all of those things. We're having fun with our father, and it's an intoxicating thing. You can imagine that little kid going to school the next day and kind of walks with like a bit of a puffed out chest and like big smile on their face. And like almost, I don't know what the kid version is of wearing like Ray-Bans and like a leather jacket, but going into school, just not caring what any kids think, just calling out the big kid like, my dad loves me, my dad loves me, I don't care what you think of me, it doesn't matter, because I know. It's kind of what's going on in Acts chapter 1. There's a fresh experience and knowledge of the Father's love, which completely impacts you, and you don't care what anyone else thinks. The fear of man slips away, but sharing with other people about how much God loves each of us becomes far more important than what anyone would think about us. It's a new boldness and intoxication with the love of God. Don't you want to be empowered by the Spirit? Don't you want to be clothed with power from on high? Because it's a gift for each one of us. I'll end with this. Luke writes in Acts 1 verse 8 to 9, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. What the book of Acts does is it outlines from that moment on how the gospel advances. From verse 1 to 7, we see the gospel advancing in the city of Jerusalem. And then from verse 8 to 12, we see it spreading in Judea and Samaria. And then from verse 13 to 20, it goes to the ends of the earth, to Greece and throughout Asia. 
And then to the end of the book, it's in the most important city in the world, the city of Rome, the most influential city in that town. And I just thought of that for us. You know, we dream of that. We'd love this church to be scattered around the world. We really, really would. We'd love to see many churches planted everywhere. And I do know this, whether we plant many churches or not, that there's many people in this church who are from different parts of the world. Who was not born in South Africa here? Can you raise your hands? Raise your hands high. Don't be nerdy and shy about this. But there's at least 10 people here today who weren't born in this country. And there's a whole bunch of others, people who are from all around Africa and from all around the world. And I know that many of you will move to a different part of the world. I've got someone here who moved to China a while ago to study medicine. Just an amazing opportunity that God has opened up. And I just think of how God will scatter the people of this church throughout the world for his purposes. For a short time, it's like God wants to invest into us and fill us with his gospel and with his spirit so that we can go out globally and join him in his mission. But until that time, and maybe some of us will stay here for the rest of our lives, we will serve him here. That's why we're going through the Alpha course. We want to have people into our homes and love people and make new friends and connect people and hopefully be able to witness and point people to Jesus. Share about his love, share about his grace, share about the hope that is found in him, and hopefully see people begin to follow him and grow as disciples. But in this chapter, in Acts chapter 1, something I've never noticed before is this is almost a commissioning moment for these disciples. Jesus has been like the head of this Jesus movement. He's been the figurehead, he's been the leader, he's been the preacher, he's done the majority of the ministry, and they've kind of tagged ahead, they've tagged along. Jesus has done ministry, but he's also taken them with him, and he's been investing into them and giving them some opportunities. But now he's like, guys, I'm out of here. You 12, you're going to carry on what I've been doing. What you've seen me do, what you've done a little bit now, you need to do to the ends of the earth. And you can imagine that being a bit of an intimidating moment for those 12, you know. And Acts chapter 1 is probably one of the strangest scenes in the Bible. After 40 days of Jesus being alive, after having been crucified, he teaches them about the kingdom of God, And he says, now go and do it to the ends of the earth. And then he ascends to heaven. And you can imagine those disciples going, what? Like, Jesus, we're not ready. We can't do this. Do you know how big the world is? And Jesus is quite high by then. And he's looking down. He's like, I can see the world clearly. It's much bigger than you think it is. There's far more people in the world than you think there are. Like, we can't do this. He's like, I know you can't. But that's why I've told you to wait for my spirit. My spirit will empower you and my spirit will help you. My spirit will be me in my place to do the work through you. You can't do it on your own, but you can do it with me. And they're like, but Jesus. And then he's covered in clouds. He's gone too high. He's gone. He's risen to the Father. It's game over. It's for them to carry on the work that he had begun in the world. I think that is the beginning of the church. And as we look at that and we see these 12 misfits, you know, gathered around Jesus, we think if there was like a betting agency back then, the odds against the church lasting would have been, I don't know, they would have been very slim. You know, you would have made money easily in making that bet. But here we are 2,000 years later in Durban on the southeast coast of Africa in this school hall, worshiping together, praying together, serving Jesus together. There are more people in the world today that profess that Jesus is Lord than believe in any other faith or any other uh, system of belief in the world. Somehow the least equipped people ever have had the most influence on the world that we can imagine. That is a supernatural and powerful work of God. Never had a more important assignment been given to a less qualified group of people. But Jesus knew that and he gave them his spirit to do this mission. And for us, Harbor City, what he says is just very simply, be my witnesses. 
We do normally have some lawyers in this church. I don't think any of them are here today. But um, for the lawyers among us, I want you to picture a bit of a courtroom scene. Think of Boston Legal or something like that. You've got your judge, you've got your prosecutor and your defendant, you've got the jury and you've got people kind of standing back there. I think for so many of us, we hear that we are called to be witnesses, but instead we act like prosecutors or judges. You know, I'm sure some of you have experienced that before, almost this prosecuting coming in. There's this God conversation. They sniff out this opportunity to talk about Jesus, and they just come in with their strongest arguments, trying to trip up anyone in any way they can so that they will see that they are right. And that way of kind of sharing about Jesus might win you an argument, but it's not going to win you a life. It's not going to win you a friend. It's not going to win you someone who believes in what you believe. You might win that argument, but they're never going to be won over to Jesus. And then I guess there's the judgy kind of way of evangelizing or sharing about Jesus. This kind of way, if you think about a judge, they're not there to love you or be kind to you. They're there to judge right from wrong. You know, They're there to make a judgment call. And some people, as they share about Jesus, act as the judge. They've got that gavel ready. They're ready to bang it down and make a call and say, you're wrong. Your lifestyle is wrong. Your morality is wrong. Your beliefs are wrong. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You should believe my way. But Jesus says we are called to be witnesses. We're called to tell people of what we've seen and what we've experienced, what we've heard and what we've been through. We can answer the questions and tell of what we've seen, but nothing beyond that. And for each of us, we can do that. We can share the story of what Jesus has done in our lives. We can share what we've experienced, what he's taught us, and what we know. And Harbor City, as we read through the book of Acts together, we want to become this kind of church. We want to see the Spirit of God at work in us, shaping us to be this kind of people that are crazy in love with Jesus and his gospel, that are empowered to share this message, and that commit to be his witnesses. Why don't you guys stand with me and we'll pray together. If you don't mind closing your eyes, we're going to worship a bit and then we're going to go into a time of communion. But just first, I don't know how you need to respond today. I just want to welcome the Holy Spirit and pray for us. So Holy Spirit, would you come upon us? Just think of that picture of a dad pulling his son or daughter up in his arms. And I do pray for us today, for some of us maybe who don't believe that or haven't experienced that in a long time. I pray you would pull us up into your arms and fill us with your love. I really pray that we would be overwhelmed by the kind of father you are and how good you are to us. And I just ask you to come in this place and in that way, Lord, and meet with us today. We cannot be your witnesses without this empowering of the Spirit. So I ask you to come and empower us, come and fill us, come and give us this gift you promise. And just sweep us up into your arms and fill us with a sense of your love, I pray. Amen.
So we're going to celebrate that he's alive now with communion. And this is actually an amazing way to respond to what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And I want to encourage you just to take a minute just before you come up here. Um, and this is fully, you don't have to come forward if you don't. The service will end after this. But just take a moment actually to repent of any sins in your life before him and actually experience his forgiveness. For some of you, maybe you've come in here today. Maybe you didn't walk in here a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you've got huge burdens on your back or on your life. Or you feel the guilt or shame of things that you've done. Now is the time just to bring that to him and to hand it over and to feel forgiven. To experience him washing you clean and to experience just the freedom that comes from all of that. So what we do as Harbor City is we come forward and we break into a bunch of groups around the room. I don't know, four to six people who can take communion together. And if you've got any prayer needs that you've got today, why don't you ask someone to pray with you? Maybe you actually have got a word for someone in your group. You can prophesy over them or encourage that person. But this is an opportunity just to actually let the Spirit minister and move through us. So when you're ready, why don't you come forward and we'll take communion.